Hello and welcome to this, which is our first webinar in our 2019 Smart Building series. And today we are talking about the power of the workplace habit. And I'm very happy to welcome Anne Vernat from uh, MAPIC to uh, talk to us today. Hi, Anne. How are you doing? Hi. I'm doing really well. How are you? Great, thanks. Happy New Year. And obviously, Happy New Year to everybody out there as well. Um, I just want to start off and um, say a couple of things. First of all, I want to say a big thank you to our sponsor, Haystack, uh, Project Haystack. Um, they agreed to sponsor our webinars again this year and uh, specifically um, Haystack Connect. I don't know what everyone is doing in May this year, but if you would like to uh, have a trip to sunny San Diego, then you can join us for the 2019 Haystack Connect conference and that's going to be all about uh, the open source project Haystack work about um, metadata tagging for smart uh, building data. Uh, so please go to haystackconnect.org to find out all about that and book your tickets. Um, then also just want to say of course if you guys have questions for myself or for Anne and you know about her work in behavioral research then uh, I'm happy to take those. Anne's going to give us quick presentation and then after that we'll be doing some Q&A. So if you type those in I'll be able to put, put questions um, to her or myself. Uh, and then finally uh, don't forget that uh, this is recorded uh, so we'll, uh, this content will be available. Um, we'll put it up on SoundCloud, on our website, on iTunes. Um, so yeah feel free to subscribe through those channels and obviously share with, um, with your colleagues. So yeah, let's get started. And um, again, thanks for, for agreeing to do this. Maybe you could just um, explain a bit about you know your background and and what you work. Yes, thank you, thank you. Um, yes, well, I'm uh, Anne. I am the behavioral researcher at Mapic, and Mapic is actually a smart building platform. We develop software, but my background is really uh, psychology. So I've done a master in social and health psychology, and always been really fascinated by the way people are uh, using space, and also, you know, sometimes the unpredictable behaviors we see, like we imagined uh, a way that. Uh, people will use a certain space and then we see total different behaviors uh, when we, we let them enter and I think that's always fascinating and see how technology is able to, to nudge that in a way. So that's also what we're going to talk about today. Um, yeah, and I think, um, yeah, everything is also on your side, but I just want to mention also really quickly um, that all my um, the research is also published at mapback.com. So that's also where you can find a lot of pieces. Um, yeah, if you are interested after this talk. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll be um, I'll be putting a link to um, you know stuff that we talk about up on the website after this. So you'll be able to if you go to memory.com, you'll be able to find everything that we we talk about today. Great. Sounds good. Okay, um, then let's get started, I think. Let's do it. Um, yeah, well, today I, um, I'm going to talk about the, the power of the habit and actually about the influence of habits uh, on the way people use the modern office of today that is um, designed to work activity-based. And to start off, I uh, would love to go over some... Oh, wait, the presentation isn't going forward, James. Oh, well, that's annoying. Uh, one second, maybe I can do this. I can see your mouse moving there. Maybe you could uh, restart the presentation. 
Hmm. Ya. Uh. Sorry, guys. Yeah, okay. and I'm going to start with uh, going over the benefits of the modern office uh, today. And I think we are really aware of the benefits that uh, yeah these offices have for the managers and the real estate uh, owners, because of course this uh, this way of working, activity based working, gives you the chance to put more people into less space, which is automatically uh, you know giving you cost savings, but also. Uh, you save energy because certain floors uh, are sometimes not occupied and you don't have to heat them. Um, so it's also good for the environment. And of course, today, uh, it's a tremendous um, like gain in the war for talent because these offices are have great designs and people really want to work there. So uh, for the managers, it's also really a, yeah, a gun in the war for talent to find the best people. But today I really want to talk about the benefits it has for uh, the employees because they are sometimes overlooked. And um, yeah, to start off, uh, because it has a lot of benefits, this office uh, offers employees um, all types of spaces that they can use for different types of activities. So as you can see on the picture, these girls are sitting down uh, at a couch to really have a catch up together, uh, you know, get things aligned. But these offices have all types of spaces. So, so conference rooms, different types of workstations, uh, sometimes even a barista is um, in the entrance uh, hall. So all these types of different spaces that are um, really uh, good in supporting a, a certain type of activity. Um, and these offices are also really a meeting place. And I think that's something last uh, couple of years we see that uh, the office becomes less a place where you come really only to work, do individual work, but really meet with your colleagues, you really see them face to face in a time where virtual meeting rooms and, and phone calls are so, you know, part of the, the day to day work life. But really looking your colleague in the eye, having a face to face meeting is still one of the most productive um, ways to go about work i would say and this office really you know stimulates ad hoc encounters and sometimes some serendipity of bumping into somebody you you didn't know yet um and the third aspect that's really a benefit for the employees which is super important is actually autonomy uh these offices give people the autonomy to uh, choose the places they work but also to structure the day uh the way they want and uh, autonomy is actually something that's really valued uh, these days with the millennial generation coming up and they actually kind of demand already uh, this sense of autonomy from their organizations and um, yeah if we look to research about autonomy uh, the University of Concordia for example in, in Montreal Canada found that uh, giving employees more autonomy at work makes them happier and more productive um, and even better at their job, except because uh, they perform better, they have higher employee commitments and um, lower turn turnover. So it's, it's actually a really, really good thing. And they even found this even in the, because it's especially true for work that is complex and requires some sense of uh, creativity, but it's also found that in routine jobs where, you know, everything is already pretty laid out what people should do, it giving them a little sense of autonomy enhances not necessarily productivity, but it does enhance their job satisfaction. So I think like we're onto something here that autonomy is, is really an important concept that we shouldn't uh, overlook. 
but however, these these benefits, uh, you know, they're really obvious for people um, that are working in modern office spaces. But they people seem to still be hesitant to work activity based because when you look at research, only you know four to ten percent are actually moving around the office and 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 yeah, making uh, use of these benefits and um, switching workstations. So, you know, we were thinking about what's what's going on here and uh, how can we empower people to, to work smart and use these benefits to their uh, advantage and start using space in a, in a more optimal, optimal way. Um, so we, do, we dove into that as uh, Matic. And uh, then we come to the fact that we are actually all really creatures of habit. And uh, I think that's also a really good thing, but almost 40% of what we're doing during a day uh, is completely on automatic uh, pilot. So a lot of behaviors you don't even think about when you enter a room and, and, and choose a certain path that's already pre <laughs> premeditated. And um, I think that's really effective because if, if I would um, speak for myself, like writing a, a research or getting a cup of coffee, if those two things would cost me the exact same amount of energy, we would be really doomed to plan and guide and, and consciously be aware of every action we're doing. So actually these habits and routines are helping us be, you know, being more efficient and accurate and also save a lot of time. Um, and to um, give an example of, of an extreme example of, of that, uh, this is much for stuff. I tried to put a little bit Dutch in the presentation, you guys. This is Mark Verstappen. He's a Formula One driver, uh, and he is one of the best of the world. And he's actually, he really, uh, the most top athletes are actually the masters of routines. They really embody them because actually everything that Max, Max does is not in his conscience. Uh, he does everything automatically, and it's really uh, top athletes are constantly, you know, they repeated it so many times that they are perfection uh, when it comes to, uh, yeah performing the action they are doing, but they don't even think about it. And uh, yeah, they really, you know, uh, are super, super accurate in the task they are performing. So that, that's uh, that's always a good example, I, uh, I say, on how effective we could be. So um, what do we do the other 60% of the day? Well, then we make uh, decisions and uh, we make all types of decisions. So it's already in the morning, what should I eat for breakfast? Which door do I choose when I walk into the office? Uh, what should I wear? What should I get for lunch? Like, um, what should I uh, pick for this project? Or where should I uh, write this blog about? All kinds of decisions. And I think we we try to save a lot of brain power to uh, yeah cut down on the number of decisions we, we want to make during a day. And I think this, this is also a good example of someone who does this in a really extreme way. Um, this is someone who fixes his door. This is Steve Jobs, because um, you see that people who are actually diminishing the times of, of decisions they make in the morning called the uniforms of success. This guy was always wearing the black turtleneck and it's actually a really good example of just, you know, diminishing decisions and making sure that your brain power goes to the, to the right decisions you have to make on a day. Um, another example is for, that Dr. Dre always wears a Nike Air Force One. It's just, you know, no, he doesn't even have to think about that. So I think that those are pretty good examples of the fact that we are actually uh, creatures of habit, which we perform a lot of our uh, actions automatically, which is really effective. And we try to diminish our decision making and, and focus on the things we, you know, we want to make a conscious decision about. And that's you know, doing a work day, doing your work. 
Um, so how does uh, a habit then, uh, how do we form a habit? Well, a habit has three aspects and um, yeah, it starts with a trigger or a cue. I'm gonna use those two words, I think both for this, uh, this theme. And that's something that sets off uh, a routine. So it could be anything. It could be a, a, yeah, something you see in the, in the building. It could be some, yeah, it would be time related. That also in the morning you have certain uh, routines that set into place. It could be a feeling that when you, you know, that you feel the, a little bit excited and then you perform certain routines could be all kinds of triggers that uh, put in motion um, a routine and when we talk about a routine in this scenario uh, that's the behavior we see or the emotional response we see people performing and in this scenario that is obviously uh, pick one desk and sit there the whole day or put your stuff there and go to meetings for five hours long so this is actually the, the thing we want to change, obviously. This is something where we have, uh, have potential, those changing those routines. But a routine is always followed by a reward. And that's, that's um, yeah, that's the reason why we, we are in this loop. And uh, the rewards uh, is something you get from it. So in this scenario, it's no stress, no decisions. Uh, you don't have to think about it anymore. Um, and those rewards, yeah, can be really strong. Uh, and they are really important in keeping that loop uh, in place. So um, when we, oh, where have we go through that? So we know now that uh, in a workplace, people want to rely heavily on their habits uh, to function. And, uh, but we put people in a place that is constantly overwhelming them uh, with conscious decisions and choices. Uh, without any guidance or control. So it's not that surprising if you put that facts together that, that you know, they make the easy decision and claim that share and don't move around. And, uh, but that's not what we want. So, uh, and that's what we're gonna talk about uh, now. Oh, first I'm gonna give you some examples of the behaviors we see then if um, we don't give them any guidance. So for workplaces, I already mentioned it a couple of times, people start claiming desks um, they go sit at the same spot, uh, come in early to claim that spot, sit to the next people, and they don't switch workstations or um, yeah, or any type of uh, activity. And then in meeting rooms, you see the same things happening. So they book meeting rooms and they don't show up, or they always book the same rooms. People, you know, they obviously they sometimes even only have four meeting rooms in their head, and those are the ones they book but sometimes the office has more than 50 available. So they should, you know, they're not aware of that. Uh, or they book a room, which is actually for, for 10 people, and they sit there with two, because they just don't want to think about it. And that's in their uh, four choices, and they pick uh, the available one. So in these behaviors, we, we don't see that much of the autonomy and the freedom and the, the socializing aspect, uh, you know, that the office has to offer. So. Uh, we, we would love to change, yeah, to see that change and see people be really, really happy and experience the benefits of, of these offices. So then I come to the, to the behavioral change part. And I think there is so much research on this, uh, on this topic. And, and for today, I picked two theories about behavioral change and, and see how we can apply that to technology. And the first one uh, actually relates to the to the habit loop because we're going to dive a little bit deeper into this loop and see you know how, how can how can we change this 
So uh, if you look at the habit loop, habit loop, I already mentioned that you actually want to change the routine. And uh, that's also the golden rule if you look at changing uh, habits, because the golden rule is that you can, uh, that it's the easiest to keep the same triggers and rewards um, and then change the behavior. So then the first thing we have to do is to identify the cues and the rewards that we're looking for and connect them to another, another routine, basically. So um, when we look at those things, at the triggers and the rewards we see in, in, in these behaviors in the office, um, the triggers, for example, are often linked with timing. And when you look at the office, the, they're often in the morning, actually, that these routines are set into action. So when people start their workday uh, or after lunch or after a meeting. So really those moments in, uh, in between uh, that they are sensitive to those cues and that they set in those routines or where, they, where they're going to go on the automatic pilot. The location is also really important. And it's, it's kind of like the same uh, as in timing. It's always the, the, the locations in between. So it's are the, the entrance halls, the, the, the atriums, the, the lunch rooms, like the locations where people have like an in-between moment between two tasks where they are sensitive to, uh, to a cue that would put them in another another routine and emotions that's that's a really uh, strong one so if someone feels eager or to you know to get to work or sometimes when they are a little bit rushed and uh, feel stressed because they're late that also sets off a certain routine so that's also a moment where you have like also an opening to maybe see if there's set another routine in action um and the rewards well it's it's what i already mentioned it's a lot about experiencing experiencing no stress and making no decisions that's how they feel they don't want to have that feeling that that they're not going to have a place or um, and that they come back from a meeting and uh, that they have to look for places so it also has to do with the, the perception of time saving uh, which is i think really a perception um but yeah then you, you still have to take it seriously and it feels like a reward i've also put like the feeling of, of being autonomous and being a great colleague in there, because I think those are rewards that, that now don't get that much attention, uh, but we can really make them more strong to give people as a reward of, you know, the feeling that they are in control of their workday and they, they are the ones who structure it and um, yeah, feel that they are the master of their own uh, schedule. So I think that's, that's where the pretension, uh, that's where the pretension is. Um, so that was the first um, thing we learned. And now we're going to the second um, model of behavior change. And this is more about conscience change. So, you know, we uh, looked at the habits, which are, yeah, set emotions from automatic behavior. But this uh, theory of planned behavior, it's called, is more about the conscience change. And these, this theory has three um, aspects that are actually influencing uh, intention to change your behavior. And the first one is attitude. And I think that that's really uh, speaks for itself. It has, is as a favorable or unfavorable evaluation of a behavior or an interest. And uh, when we look at activity-based working, that's, yeah, well, some people are, are positive, but a lot of people have, have, yeah, kind of a negative attitude towards, uh, towards that change. Uh, the second is the norm. 
uh, which is really what the, what does the group where you belong to do? And I think this is a really important one. And you see also that when a company switches to activity-based working as a whole, uh, that's that's more difficult when someone just switches a job where you know in the old old job there was no activity-based working, and uh, this person starts in a company where there is activity-based working. It's less complicated because then the norm is already there, and people just have to go with it, and they are you know eager to get in line or be part of the group. Um, and then the third one, and that, that's the most important one, um, that's the control. And it's actually perceived control that refers to the perceived ability to significantly alter a situation. And I always use the example of uh, yeah, your influence on climate change here <laughs> to um, explain this perceived control. Because when you ask people to you know, take a shorter shower, uh, because it's good for the for the planet and you will save a lot of energy it doesn't necessarily feel for them that that will change that scenario that if they take a shorter shower because it doesn't give them any sense of control however if you give people uh, the smart meters of today that they can look how much energy they are using during the day and then they see if you take a 30 minute shower you will use more uh, energy than one minute then all of a sudden they have like, um, yeah, there's a good chance that they will change their behavior because they have this feeling that they can control something and they see it. And um, if you look at the model, because you see that all of all three of them influence the, the intention of actually uh, changing behavior, but only control uh, is able to do it directly. So if you give people that sense of control about changing their own behavior or their, their situation, um, that, that has the biggest effect. Uh, so um, we now distinguished uh, a little bit of a window. We've identified the cues and the rewards and understand uh, that we really have to increase actually the feeling of control of an for an employee if you want to support them uh, during, uh, during a workday in an activity-based uh, activity working office. So, um, Oh yeah, the perceived control, really important. So let's take a look on how technology can, can do that or what kind of role technology has in this, uh, in this change. Well, it, I think when people think about technology in the smart building world and, and also in, in, in office spaces, they uh, often think about IoT analytics. They see graphs and, and sensors who can uh, measure, measure um, the occupancy data. And of course, this is a this is a super important aspect of uh, of what technology can add to your building. Um, however, we really see technology as a connection between people and their building or office. And uh, if you look at this connection, then you actually are looking uh, to two aspects of it. And the first one is actually the the analytic side of things. So it's it creates overview and insight and. and we measure how a building is used. Uh, we can, for example, see which meeting rooms are popular, which floors are uh, occupied the most, which days have the highest peak uh, peak moments. You can even take that to real time that you can see at this moment, like which meeting rooms are free, etc. Um, however, we really believe that it's, it's really important if you want to influence these habit routines and, and give people uh, more control that you also uh, include the end user in, in, in this technology aspect. So really make sure that they 
also get the benefits of data. And we really believe that you should give people the digital version of their building uh, back. So, um, yeah, we provide them with a digital version of their building where they can look for colleagues, where they can book meeting rooms themselves, they can find available uh, workplaces and other facilities. And uh, why is this so important? Because actually this information gives people uh, a sense of a higher sense of control because they see what they can uh, can do. They have an overview. They have the power of, of booking it themselves. It gives them you know, this, this opportunity. And they can also start um, experiencing rewards from this new routine of looking, uh, on, for example, where a place is instead of just automatically walk to the desk you always go to. So it's also, it's, it's the chance to, uh, yeah, to create a moment where you can create routines that actually provide them with a whole new bunch of rewards during, uh, during a workday. So this is really the place where, yeah, they can form new habits. And I think also the beautiful thing about this look is when you look at it, that it's also puts a manager uh, or real estate owner into the position of always being able to adapt to their ever-changing needs and ever-changing behavior of a workforce. So it's not like a static uh, thing. You have to be constantly aware of what's happening and communicate that back to people uh, to be able to, to you know, really create a flexible space. And um, yeah, to give an example, this is a booking example. Um, as I already told you, people are constantly booking Kind of like four rooms that they have in their in their mind, and um, that's not not really really uh, flexible. But what what software could do is that as you look at the left screen, you can, for example, if you bump into someone in the hallway and you haven't talked to them in a long uh, in a long time, then you can look at your phone and see, hey, what's available, you know, near to us. Where you need some localization technology, but then you can easily see like, hey, oh, wait, around the corner, we have a place where we can sit down and have a, have a quick chat. Um, and that, that behavior becomes your routine. And uh, you can also do that during lunch, like when you get in the conversation and you realize that you have to, you know, be updated on a project. You can already look like, hey, oh, maybe in 45 minutes when we're done eating, should we meet in that place? I already book it. Like there, we set in motion a whole other type of behaviors, and it can, we can also suggest to go somewhere and based on uh, some qualities of rooms or features of rooms, you can um, yeah also be surprised and experience the yeah some new things during a workday, which is also could be really inspiring. So um, to sum up, like we really believe that. Uh, companies should not only uh, provide managers with the benefits of data, but also make data really meaningful for uh, the users of the building. And um, yeah, technology could really be of importance in creating this work perfect workplace uh, by supporting habits that trigger the right routines and rewards. That's, that's one of the most important things. Uh, stimulate autonomy by giving an overview and insights through, and through this increase the perceived control of people that they have of their surroundings, their own workplace. And last but not least, create a feedback loop that also puts you in this position to constantly uh, adapt to the, to the changing needs of your workforce. So, for example, when a certain department is growing, that you can always see that. Um, because they use more phone booths and you can always anticipate on that 
by maybe putting some more phone booths on the fifth floor and communicate to the, that to the people so they can actually start using that. Um, so, yeah, I think like we really believe that this modern uh, office has, uh, has a lot to offer and that technology has the potential to um, yeah, set in new routines and generate rewards for employees, which is yeah, creating spaces where sharing is really the norm and uh, serendipity is really celebrated if you meet new people every day and that autonomy is not only valued but is really yeah, leading to a better, better work day. So, um, yeah, I'm really open for questions. I think that was it. Yeah, thank you for listening. I'm looking forward to <laughs> That was fascinating. Thank you. And as Anne said, anyone who has questions, please type them in. You should be able to do that on your console. And uh, I'll get them here, and then I can, uh, I can put those questions to Anne. There's, I'm sure, a million questions you can ask about behavior and how that impacts on, you know, uh, the way that people are in offices, how perhaps we can make the workforce more productive and use technology to do that. Um, and there's a couple of things I think, well, first of all, I think I definitely take away from that, like this, this concept of autonomy, giving, giving, mm -hmm. that, giving that power to, uh, to the workforce. I mean, so there, it, there is then obviously like a direct um, correlation, I guess, with work that people have done between autonomy and people being happier is that right yeah yeah that's true and then yeah that they, is yeah. there is there then if you extend that is there also kind of an obvious causal link between people being happy and being more productive in the workspace uh yes i think so yeah i think um of course when you're you're happy you uh are i think more productive but there's also a direct direct link between this autonomy and being actually more productive as this research from the uh, university of concordia shows is actually yeah uh, before creating better performance higher employee commitment they ask this in questionnaires so that it's still a subjective um yeah, answer, but yeah, and also lower turnover. So when they give more autonomy, they actually saw like the uh, turnover went down. So yeah, you could say that. Yeah, and that's a that's a hugely important um, factor, I think, for in the knowledge-based yeah. economy is you know it's it's really hard now for companies to find the right staff. Yeah, and I think I think also yeah that that we are already there that there's a lot of autonomy in in the, the way people can. Uh, able to you know form their job in a way that, do their job in a way that they think is best to get results but then we are not yet providing them with the same amount of uh, autonomy in their workplace so then they're still like have to look for rooms and, and book through you know, meeting systems that are you know not really fast and I think that that's or through a secretary or something so it's also kind of a gap between those things like the autonomy you get in your job and then the autonomy you have over your workplace. Mm. Yeah, and I get, and I guess, does that also link into kind of people f feeling ownership towards towards exactly? Yeah, you know, if they if they are able to have some kind of autonomy over it, exactly. Yeah, there was something else that I picked out as well. I think it was the first example. You it's talking about emotions, and it made me think a little bit of uh, NLP, where I know people oh, yeah, yeah. that you can, you know, anchor certain emotions and i just wondered i guess that then certain rooms i guess would trigger different emotions in different people i mean then if you're thinking or 
as then somebody who may be designing workspaces or thinking about making workspaces more interesting can you is there you know can you trigger emotions in particular rooms yeah well i think there's a lot yeah there's a lot of research uh, already been done how environments trigger and especially color i would say like what's used uh, in in spaces and and what triggers certain emotional responses so uh, yeah that's also one of the reasons i think that now having a lot of green and plants which is kind of soothing and and um yeah that that's now a trend in office spaces but also they i think experienced with red rooms for brainstorming that people are you know activated and uh, feel energized. Um, so yeah, I think you can definitely uh, make sure that if you want to do a certain activity, which you know ask a certain uh, mindset or, or emotional response, then you can find a room that's actually stimulating it for you. Yeah. Yeah, and again, I guess it goes into the activity-based work concept where you would design yeah. a specific room specifically for different tasks. Exactly. Um, yeah, I think on on the, you mentioned there sort of green plants, biophilia, it's something that we've kind of coming across a little bit more. I mean, what are your views on on that? I mean, is there a is there a an obvious link between kind of natural environments and um, you know people being happier and more productive? Yeah, well, I think. Of course, it also has to do with uh, with a great design. That it's it's yeah. Of course, it's it's great to be in a space that is has uh, has a great design and a lot of plans because it's just I don't know. You you become a little bit more relaxed and happier. And I think that yeah, that does something with your productivity. But I think that yeah, the you the effects are maybe not that big as sometimes people say they are. Like I don't know. I have to get into that though, but this is my like my my uh, my opinion. Yeah. I would say. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and I, th- I think like I guess if I was to sort of hazard a guess about people who are going to be listening to us talk and be like a combination of vendors, so people selling technology into this place, but also you know owners, operators, people who you know operate buildings and perhaps want to make them more um, productive. Um, on the from the technology side, you know, are, are there some good examples you can talk about about where you you've seen, you know, that you know technology can be used to change behavior? I mean, I mean, you obviously um, the app example, but are there, are there ones where you think, you know, for example, I was thinking, you know, a company that perhaps has a limited budget and wants to, you know, do something that has quite a lot of impact. Um, yeah. What what might that be? Yeah, I think it's really about thinking about what you actually need or what you want to give your employees. So, and that that can be like it doesn't have to be that expensive. So, for example, if you want to just give them insights in which areas are busy and not like on individual workplace, but just as a rough. Uh, yeah, as a rough estimate, like, hey, here are a lot of people. I would expect that it would be um, a little bit more. Uh, noisy than uh, than on the third floor, you can actually do that already with 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 Wi-Fi sometimes. But it's not that specific. But if it's already answering your question or your uh, your need, then you can definitely do already a lot with not a tremendous investment in um, in hardware, especially. I think that's 
that's where a lot of people are worried about. But you need to think about what you want to give your employees first um, and not start thinking about like what sensor do I need or what sensor do I want, but really like what do I what kind of information do I want to give my uh, my people? Yeah, I think that's yeah. a great point. The you know something we've written about you know using technology as as the tool right there's you don't start with the technology but start with the problem and and then work yeah exactly how you solve that problem yeah. maybe technology is the exactly. tool to do that yeah yeah uh, I was just interested in your opinion um, about uh, co-working spaces and I think yeah for us like that's was a huge trend in last year right the kind of the raw well and few years before that but but certainly last year you know it, it took up a lot of uh, press a lot of people talking about that and what impact it might have on commercial real estate you know mm -hmm. can, can you talk about that more from a behavioral aspect i mean what is there what what did yeah. you attribute you know the, its rise to something to do with yeah how um yeah i think it's really interesting and, and um what i Think from a behavioral side point of view and co-working spaces that that's it, it's it's a the best example I think you can have when in yeah when you talk about creating a place where people meet and connect and find the right connection uh, for yeah they're looking for a certain skill and they can find them but it's also because these co-working spaces are often focused on uh, like freelancers or really small companies I actually worked for one at the the Impact Hub and. You know, I was actually a community manager at that time, and my only job was making sure that people were connected. So when someone came in, they had to sit down with me, 30 minutes conversation, and that I started thinking like, okay, you have to talk to that person, you have to talk to that person, yeah, this guy can help you. And I think this is still one of yeah the skills that technology could take over uh, to do this matching in these co-working spaces and, and make sure that the right people find each other because sometimes they were sitting next to each other and then I walked by hey guys I think you guys should talk because you're both in this industry but yeah how technology is able to stimulate those um, yeah encounters between people and connections between people uh, it's still, um, yeah, I think it, it, it's interesting because there is a lot of potential, but then like in, in the, this specific co-working space where they really found that still the first step needs has to, had to be taken by a, a human. <laughs> so, because otherwise you put like the other person always in the active mode, like, oh, I'm going to look for someone I need. And you actually don't want to do that. It already comes to that person in, in some sense. And I think there there's a lot of potential still that technology can fill. Uh, I feel that gap. Mm, right. I guess yeah. what you were talking about, the, the serendipity of, of, you know, meeting, meeting new people or hanging out in new places that, that might create, yeah, it's, it's, create yeah. a new conversation and a new perspective that, that solves problems or helps the company a bit more. Yeah. It's also, I think like those co-working spaces are really good in, in building a community. And that's also because they uh, have those community managers often uh, a lot of the time who are actually doing that constantly by creating events and making sure everybody has what they need. And yeah, now we're, we're now starting to think about how can technology also take over that role to create this community yeah, of, of people who are working together um and what role does it have in that uh, in that sense so i think yeah it's it's an interesting uh it's still developing i think mm, yeah 
And I think having, you know, worked in both environments, I thought actually this kind of role of community manager is something I think that the bigger companies can really learn from co-working spaces, right? Is that Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's really yeah, role, I think. like almost the, the office manager role is kind of dying, right? And actually it's you you know, the community manager it makes more sense now. Where you yeah. know, someone just there to to you know bring people together, you know, organize events, you know, create create an atmosphere, create the community within the within the organization. Yes, exactly. I think that it's it's only gonna uh, yeah they're gonna learn from each other. I think also the the corporate world is gonna uh, the co working world is gonna learn from the corporate world in some sense. Mm, yeah, well, we'll see how that plays out this year. I mean, I think mm -hmm. that uh, there's a, you know some interesting uh, signs about what might happen in that in that business, but um, it's definitely still growing, which is um, which is uh, and also we're seeing like some of the other the corporate real estate companies now create their own co-working brands as well. So we'll see how. Yeah, that's true. That's also a trend we spotted that they, uh, yeah, that's, yeah, that they turning their office into co-working spaces with the, yeah, the, the, the yeah, this first floor is also uh, open for, um, for other companies, for example, to meet. Yeah, we see that trend uh, also evolving. I think that's a good thing. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, it's inspiring. Uh, anyone who's listening, don't forget, you can ask questions for Anne, for myself. Um, we're very happy to, uh, to answer anything about, you know, Anne's um, presentation or indeed, you know, some of the other work that, that for example, stuff that Mapic's doing, stuff that I'm doing. Um, yeah, feel free, type your questions in. Um, Anne, I, I think I was also interested in, you know, if we talked or touched on data analytics, that kind of technology. Uh, and we talk mm -hmm. about, you know, optimizing space um, and, and the benefit of that to the business, um, being able to repurpose it, use it more efficiently. Uh, do you see, like, beyond that, you know, what are the, some of the perhaps other uses of this kind of technology or having a deeper understanding of, of you know? Yeah. Have you guys... Yeah, I think... Yeah, well, I think that this type of technology is essential in 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 that sense. If you want to, yeah, go to an now to an optimization of space and being able to also adapt space, I think that that's actually the next step. That if you know how it's used, you are able to nudge people to the right places that are you know, suiting their needs in the most more most optimal way. Then the next step is being able to starting to adjust spaces and to, um, you know, and we, when we see that a conference room, for example, is never used, then that you'll be able to, you know, create something different and, and with a few changes, um, yeah, make your real estate more flexible, I would say, because now it's already static. It's developed for, uh, for yeah, a couple of years, and it's, it's not working in these, these times, I would say, and it's, the workforce changes too quickly and their needs also change so yeah, this technology puts you in a position to give insights in that and to communicate it to, to people and also see how you can start adjusting and uh, make sure that you are really you know getting the most out of your space and that's um, yeah I, I kind of look at it that way I think this, this concept of like nudging behavior is really fascinating to me um you know the behavioral economics right 
and we, mm-hmm. the, the retail have been really um really or done some really interesting work in using that applying those principles to retail space right to get people to buy yeah. things or behave in a certain way yeah yeah, yeah. You know, or take the stairs take yeah, the stairs right. is a really the, famous the one yeah this is this is something i think we're going to see more and more of in in the workspace yeah that, yeah i totally agree i think uh yeah it also has to do a lot with design i think like the the staircase example of that when you walk on the stairs that there's a piano going <laughs> and um yeah, it is a combination with the yeah with the physical space and the design aspects you can add to that and some technological um, yeah things you can do. For example, that the music goes on when you walk towards a, uh, a certain direction and that nudges you towards a quiet area. For example, yeah, that that kind of things would be awesome. Yeah, and even sort of nudging behavior towards I don't know. Not not just movement in the space, but perhaps um, towards you know trying to make people perhaps collaborate more or improve in some way their their productivity yeah. during the day, even if that might mean you know working a little bit longer, for example. Yeah, no, that's true. Taking so longer at lunch. I know these are kind of not things that people are perhaps supposed to, yeah. make, but I guess you know that is ultimately might what you know there has to be a balance, of course, but. Yeah, and I think nudging is also, it's really about guiding the unconscious behaviors, right? Like the habit routines that, that we're not really consciously deciding on, on where to go or if you sit longer during lunch. It's really about uh, giving people the feeling that they decide that for themselves. But mm. <laughs> actually, you already thought about it. Mm, yeah, good point. Something else I was interested in your opinion on was um, this kind of, you know, obviously, we're much more connected. We all have phones on our desks, and this this kind of like interruption, um, you know, problems that we're, we're having more of. Um, I mean, and you know, I've seen some report evidence of things, for example, where they said there was uh, some Slack um, uh, outage. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, Slack is this kind of like communication tool for for companies. And actually, they noticed in some companies that productivity went up when when it wasn't mm-hmm. working, right? Which is, of course, totally counterintuitive to. to oh, really? What, what, yeah. Now, and I, you know, I'm sure that's probably just a a small example, and perhaps not the the overall one. But I mean, from your perspective as you know, behavioral researcher, have you you know, what is this interruptions? having on us and our behavior and is it something that you know we need you know yeah. that we need to factor uh, when we're talking about buildings or even you know trying to trying to interruptions during the day you mean the pop-ups for example for, from slack and and things like that or you know yeah, social media like that, yeah. people using social media at work or you know yeah um yeah, well, I think that's that's a difficult one because this is something not only related to work because it also happens in our uh, the private life, right? That WhatsApp is always on and and we have like three social media channels we have to constantly check. And um, yeah, the thing that I can uh, say about that is that it says it does something with your attention span, and and they they research that's researched and that yeah we could say that the younger generation who um, is actually 
yeah, constantly interrupted, you can say have a shorter attention span than, than the older generation. So that means that they can focus a little bit, yeah, not that long on a task. Um, but on the other hand, they are better in switching between tasks. So they need uh, less time to get into a new task. So which is obviously if you, yeah, if you uh, put that next to the fact that you're constantly interrupted and have to dive into something new, um, that, that you see that happening. Uh, but what it yeah, what it eventually will mean, uh, yeah, on how productive and the things we uh, we do or that we that we produce, I don't know. So it has an effect on on our attention and how our brain works. That's true, but I don't know if what the, what the effects of that will be eventually, and if we need that kind of focus uh, still, or that we just have a small group of people who can do that and then the rest is really good in switching between uh, tasks so there is an effect i think we're going to see the upcoming years and um yeah i'm also curious right yeah I mean, again sort of the nature of work is changing anyway right isn't it so it, it's not necessarily you know that perhaps a lot of people need to have um you know that deep focus and attention on specific tasks yeah maybe yeah, maybe, but yeah, if, if if it's the case, like if we, the other scenario is that we say in a couple of years, hmm, we have to do something about this. People can't focus anymore on tasks, tasks, and then you get like more of the that you get rooms where there's no Wi-Fi, where you can concentrate. Like I think that's also a scenario that we can prepare ourselves for, and that people who know themselves who have more difficulty with putting their phone away go to those rooms, for example, that they don't, uh, yeah, they they don't get interrupted. Mm. So that's also a possibility. Yeah. I mean, in the last, we've got about 10 minutes left. Um, so I actually just wanted, there's a few things I wanted to touch um, on with you. Um, but again, if anyone has questions, then uh, we're happy to take those as well in the time we've got left. Um, what I was thinking about was, you know, I often look at uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? About, I always find that super interesting, you know, how, um, mm -hmm you know, and how that affects behavior. So the bottom being, you know, these kind of more environmental factors. And and I've, I see, do you see increasingly, you know, a lot of research, super interesting research about the impact of light and, um, uh, yeah. uh, you know, air quality and that kind of thing. I mean, how, how, does, how do you view those kind of environmental factors in your work that you've done and at MAPIC? Um, yeah, we see it as as kind of it's 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 really important. We we also are looking at the, at the Maslow pyramids actually, and I think like those, it's it's kind of like a yeah a, a, a healthy base you want to have in your office. Like there is like a you need a certain amount of daylight during your your, your day, and um, yeah, you need fresh uh, fresh air, for example. And I think there are that mapping is actually contributing in that sense uh, of giving people again that sense of control over those things so we can um yeah if there's a meeting room for five people and we um yeah see that there are 10 people in there the air quality maybe after 30 minutes isn't that good anymore so people will you know not be that focused anymore in the future that's something that you can detect and yeah then adjust so hey guys uh maybe let's move to another room to make sure that that quality of air is always um yeah of a certain standard and the same goes for lighting if you are you know, sitting next to the window 
uh, you will have maybe a much more productive day than if you're, you know, down in a basement somewhere. And, and technology is able to attend to that and, and let people know if there are free, free spaces next to the windows, for example. So I think there's definitely this interaction between, um, yeah, those aspects and the way and the way people use it and make sure that they are aware uh, of the opportunities in the building. Mm, that is interesting, because I guess uh, that you could look at them, like, I don't know, working out or which desks or which areas of the, of the office are in some way more, you know, have better environmental aspects to them. So if you yeah, because we all yeah we all recognize the, the fact that if you're in a meeting with a lot of people and at some point people start to, in Dutch it's happen, <laughs> but yawning I think mm -hmm. like okay they doze off that that has to do with uh, with the oxygen level. <laughs> yeah, but even the, perhaps the, te the technology could could tell you that uh, I don't know, maybe think about or oh, this desk is free at the moment and we the there's a lot of natural light there and there's some. Um, and the air quality. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, maybe yeah. you get an alert that says, uh, you know, why don't you think about moving there? Yeah, mm. definitely. There you go. Possibility. New idea for a new product development at MAPIC. <laughs> feature. <laughs> People yeah. always have great ideas about new features. <laughs> yeah. Okay, final chance, anybody, if, if, they have, um, if they have any questions for Anne, then uh, now is um, now's the time to ask them. Um, I'll take the opportunity just to let you know again that this has been recorded. So I'll be putting that online uh, later today. And uh, we'll also include um, a link to some of the resources that Anne was talking about, like the white paper and, um, and also a link to the website where you can find more details about her work. Um, I think finally I wanted to ask about, um, you know, in terms of the technology, sometimes we, I've seen or you can see that not so much a disconnect, but there's like technology in the smart home and technology in the commercial buildings, right? Which are, can be quite separate, and and sometimes yeah. that the, you know we the technology can come from, let's say, that more home environment, and and then I think people's expectation of what they get in the at an office or in their work environment is increased because they are used to that at home. I mean, is there any? Does that also apply to kind of more behavioral aspects? Um, yeah. How, how, um, that, how does that work with people? Do they, are they expectations different for different um, or? Yeah, I think it, it, I think, yeah, for, it, it's really logical that, they, that when they already can do something with their smartphone at home, that they kind of expect that to also be the case at their job eventually. That's, um, yeah, I don't know if that has to do with anything specific, only about the fact that you're already experiencing that, you actually experience the reward from that, so you want that at your workplace too. Um, yeah, I have to think about that, if there's, uh, what, what the relationship is between these things and if people, where the, yeah, how can you all maybe temper those high expectations? Because people tend to, you know, always reach for, for the, the highest and, want more so that's also how you innovate so i think i don't know it's an interesting point and i will maybe get back to you <laughs> i will get back to you. <laughs> yeah. yeah no i mean again we're seeing it with um 
you know, well, I, I mean, there's lots of examples of interesting smart home technology. I know there's a lot of buzz around um, voice activated yeah. kind of interfaces now where they're kind of proliferating in the home environment, but not so much in the in the commercial space. But I'm wondering if that might might change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that might happen. Yeah, that's that's funny. The, uh, yeah, we are exploring that. We are exploring that actually uh, this week. <laughs> no, it, it's yeah, of course, it, it's 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 something that uh, we also use as an inspiration and see how far you can take that in the, in the work environment. And yeah, we also try to to look at those. Um, yeah, I think yeah features and see how that applies to the work environment and there are different challenges there are different uh, there is te- other technology in place so yeah it's also then a matter of what can we bring and how can we use that as an inspiration to bring something that the workplace you have to create a better workplace and sometimes that there's not the same thing than creating a better home <laughs> no exactly i mean it's quite different um outcomes i guess that we want from yeah from, from both and um and again you know i think that that we do want to create you know happy comfortable work environments but i guess there is in the back of our minds of course we have to be aware that that we're also trying to get a different outcome from a from a work environment you know actually yeah from a home yeah uh productive and and obviously creating more value and creating more revenue and and um, profit for businesses exactly and it's been really fascinating i really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. thank you and um yeah I, I, i'm really so definitely be um keeping an eye on work that you that you're doing with behavioral research so feel free to share that with us at any time yes thank you so much and thank you for listening I appreciate it, of course. Um, just quickly say to everyone out there, um, a thank you to our sponsor, Project Haystack. And um, don't forget that the Haystack Connect conference is coming up in May. So stick that in your diary, May 13th to the 15th. And that's going to be in San Diego, California. So um, go to haystackconnect.org to find out a little bit more about that and see if you uh, want to get involved. So, yeah, thanks again, Anne. And, um, Yeah, appreciate you taking the time today. Appreciate everyone for listening. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. Bye.